Welcome to the Data Dive Podcast, a podcast where we share the stories of real-world data-driven applications in various industries, hear how some of the most innovative companies are being built, and much more. I'm your host, Abraham Cherian, the founder of Data Dive, an international youth-driven organization focused on developing data literacy among the next generation. Today, I'm excited to welcome on Christina Stethopoulos to the podcast. Christina graduated from North Carolina State University before living in Spain for a decade. She started her data science career at the SAS Institute before heading to Nielsen and has spent the last four years working at Google, where she is the analytical lead for Waze. Christina is regarded as one of the top data science figures and frequently speaks at conferences all across the globe. Welcome on to the Data Dive podcast, Christina. It's wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Abraham. I know we've been planning this out for a little while, so I'm really excited to be here with you today. So tell me a little bit about your background, your early interest in mathematics, and what led you to pursue a data science career. Yeah, I'll tell you that I actually grew up loving mathematics and statistics. It was my favorite subject when I was a kid. And then I went on to, as you mentioned, I studied a bachelor's at North Carolina State. And I was studying an interdisciplinary field with a focus on statistics. But within a month from graduating, I ended up moving abroad to Madrid, Spain, which is where I completely developed my analytics career. So I developed it abroad and on top of that in a, in a second language. And my background, my studies in, in statistics eventually led me to pursue a master's in business analytics and big data. And then, like you mentioned, I went on to work at SAS, Nielsen, and finally Google. So at Google, I've been here for about four and a half years in different data specialist roles and most recently moved moved to Waze, which actually brought me back to my home country, the U.S., and now I'm based in, in New York City. But I would say that my overall journey has been quite untraditional in a sense, but my journey into data science, it made sense just because of my background in statistics and then my love, my love for numbers and, and data. What are some valuable skills you gained when you were in college? And when you look back, is there any advice you'd give yourself when you were an undergraduate student? Very good question. And I would say some valuable skills that I picked up in in college. First of all, it was how to hustle, I would say. So I was either working part-time or full-time during my entire bachelor's, um, mostly as like a bartender. Um, so it was class during the day and then bartending at nights and weekends. And um, most people might say this was just like a fun college job, which it absolutely was, but it also taught me something. So it taught me extreme time management because I was managing a full-time bachelor's and then working. And it was this odd mix of skills, honestly, because I was getting you know this communication and sales skills in this side job that I had while pursuing my education and all at the same time. I, I wouldn't say I have any regrets, so I wouldn't go back and change anything. But if I were to recommend someone else following in my footsteps or pursuing a degree like like you are, I would say I would recommend that you get involved as much as you can in your university. So at your college, um, I totally understand that some may have to work more during studies, like was in my case, but you know that might limit your time. But if you can manage, get involved as much as you can with the university. So that means like student clubs, uh, student government, 
get internships in your respective field, even pursuing like side initiatives, kind of what you're doing with this, this podcast. I think it's fabulous. And I think it's going to really pay off down the line. So whatever it is, but find these ways to get involved with your college or get involved with your studies outside of just your typical classes, because it ends up paying off down the line. And I, um, I learned this pretty well because that's what I did during my master's. So I didn't do it so much during my bachelor's, but during my master's, I was very involved at, um, at IE business school doing like, um, a class ambassador. I was running the social media for our program as a part of a scholarship. And then I was also acting as a club coordinator. So doing a lot of things um, and being involved just outside of the typical schoolwork. Yes, I'm sure being involved in so many different activities really gave you a unique perspective. And I'm sure that's helping you in your work now, too. Yeah, absolutely. And and I didn't even know the, the part of like networking. So it also gives you this chance to network with, of course, your classmates, but many times as well, you might get to network with people out in the field. Because I remember when I was a club coordinator and we would put together events, we would invite people, we would invite professionals at IBM or Google, wherever it may be, to come and talk to the class. And as a club coordinator, I would get to network and talk with them a lot. So it helped me to just building a network, a community to be a part of. You lived abroad in Spain for a decade. So what were some unique things you picked up there that have helped you as a data scientist? We've mentioned it where I had this quite untraditional path, I would say, leaving the U.S. and working in Spain for data science. And this experience, what it gave for me, I think, was I learned very effective communication. So I was challenged to work fully in Spanish. And this was a second language that I picked up only once I moved to Spain. I knew zero Spanish before I before I moved, so I learned from scratch, and it just really it opened my mind first of all to to many different things in a new language and a new culture, but it also helped me um, be a better communicator because now I had to learn how to communicate effectively, not just in English, which is a challenge in itself, but in a foreign in a foreign language with people who speak that language natively. Um, so I, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of communication and storytelling as a data scientist. I think if you work on these skills, it opens a lot of doors for you later on. And especially if you can learn to communicate complex topics in an easy to understand manner. So being able to translate like technical data things to the business side of a, of a company and then another thing I would add on is, is just besides communication, while living abroad and developing my career abroad, I got the unique experience of working in another culture and just learning new ways of thinking, new ways of working and so on. And it helped me be open to just to new perspectives, new ways of seeing things and also learning how to handle work situations in different cultural environments, which I think is a beneficial skill no matter what field you're in data science or not, just because the business world is more and more global. So you need to learn how to work well in diverse settings. Yeah, I think one thing that I found super fascinating is you did not learn Spanish as a child, right? I mean, most people learn new languages when they're fairly young, but you learned it right out of college when you had to move to Spain. So could you talk about that experience more and uh, how you got acclimated with the language? Yeah, uh, most people do learn languages as a kid, which is a lot easier. I learned Greek growing up because I come from a Greek family. 
did not learn Spanish. So like I mentioned before, I learned Spanish from scratch when I moved abroad. How was it? It was really difficult, obviously, as an adult to learn a language that now I do speak fluently. So I eventually got a, got got the hang of it. But I would say that learning an adult a language as an adult, it's complicated. Um, and I think the best way that you can do it, if possible, is immersion. So the way that I did it by moving abroad. I can't imagine as an adult just kind of studying it in my free time and getting to a level of fluency. But if you have some way to immerse yourself in the culture, then then you can do it. And it took me, though, I have to say, like, it's not an overnight thing, obviously. I think I was working, I was working fully in Spanish about after like three years. So it took me a long time before I could actually communicate in a business setting. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your work at Google. So could you give us a quick rundown on your current work and the interview process you went through to get your job? Yeah, of course. So I've been with Google for over four years and these different data specialist roles. And I used to work for Google, like the core Google team, Google sales team and Google search. And I was doing this out of the Madrid, Spain office. And my role, I was in different data specialist roles, but in the end, I was like a tech person on a sales team. So I was working with some of our top international clients out of Spain to advise their media strategy, but also just their overall business decisions and using Google data to do that. So trends in the market um, around Google search and Google ads. And then I changed to Waze last year. And then subsequently, I relocated to New York City back in August. And here I'm working as an analytical lead. And really, it's a it's a similar position in the sense that, again, I'm acting as this tech person on a sales team. I'm like a data translator. So I'm using data, in this case, mostly navigation data and mobility, to advise our sales teams and direct our advertising clients around Waze ads. And again, just direct their business strategy as well as a partner with us. And then you asked about the interview process. Um, so mine was quite a while ago. That was four years ago. But I remember how challenging it was, first of all. That should be no surprise to anyone. And I think it's important to highlight that I did not get into Google on the first try, nor the second, nor the third. So I went through three full interview processes and I got turned down on the first two. And then on the third one, I was chosen for a project-based role. So it's like a temporary role. And then I went through two additional interview processes, full interview processes, before I landed a full-time role. So in total, I went through five interview processes before I landed that full-time job at Google. And of course, these are long. These are long and challenging processes, so it can take a, a bit out of you. And I'm saying all of this because I think it's important for our listeners to know that when it comes to getting into tech or landing your dream job, persistence is key. So you cannot let yourself get down because you were rejected once, because I promise you, you're going to re be rejected dozens of times. It's going to happen. So the key is how you handle each of those rejections and how you come out of it as a learning experience. This is a learning opportunity for you to learn what didn't work, what were your mistakes, what could you improve on, and then turn around and do better the next time. 
So could you talk a little bit about how you stayed motivated even if you were unsuccessful in getting the role you wanted? I think rejection is quite challenging to deal with, right? So talk us through how you stayed optimistic and continue to persevere and work hard. Yeah, the natural feeling is to feel rejected and to feel down, but I, I have that a feel that feeling initially, but then I very quickly turn it around because you have to think that this is not a, a personal thing against you. In the end, there's a hiring team that is trying to find the best fit for that specific job. You may be a great fit, but there might just be someone who's a little bit better for whatever reason it may be. So in the end, I trust the decisions of the hiring committee. And there's a reason that they didn't pick me. And I always think that maybe, you know, this door has closed, but another one is going to open. So I, I look at it from a different lens. I really do not feel like feel too bad after a rejection because for me it's it's just a learning opportunity and I know it's nothing personal against me. And then also when these rejections happen, I always ask for feedback. I ask for feedback from the people who interviewed me, from the recruiter, from the hiring committee and ask them, you know, why wasn't I chosen? What could I do better next time? And I leave that door open for them as well. And this is why I ended up getting more opportunities because I was rejected that first and second time. But by the end of both processes and I connected with them to say, hey, you know, how could I improve? After each of those, those, those rejections, I stayed in touch with the team because I told them, you know, this was, it was great meeting you. I would love to stay in touch in case you get another fitting opportunity. And that's exactly what happened. They ended up calling me back for a future opportunity. So it's really a matter of you finding the best fit. And there's a little bit of luck in that, that you happen to be the best fit in that specific process. You also teach data science to your coworkers at Google and students at the IE Business School and ISDI. So how has that experience been and what has been the most enriching part about it? Yeah, I love teaching actually. Um, it's like a passion project that turned into a a side job. Um, so for Google, I do it as a 20% project, teaching coworkers about data science. And then I have a side job, um, teaching quite a lot in higher education institutions. And I would say the most enriching part about it is just seeing my passion for data rub off on others, um, especially at IE business school. So there I teach in different MBA programs and I teach analytics courses to the MBA students. And these are, of course, a very diverse range of students. So these are not people studying data science. They are people here for an MBA. And I might be their first, um, their first real exposure to the data science world. Um, so some of them come in with zero knowledge of analytics and data science. And many times they actually come in quite scared of it. Like they don't like numbers. They have never liked statistics. And for me, it's really rewarding when I'm finishing a course and one of these students who comes from zero background in this, they come up to me one-to-one -one and they express how much they enjoyed the class and how much they learned. And it's like, I've sparked this bit of interest in data for them because then they're like, oh, it's not, you know, it's not as boring as I thought, or it's not as hard as I thought. So I feel like I'm having this impact on their lives and inspiring them in a way that they'll probably, probably be able to take it to their to their work and their future career. Yeah, so I think the skills that you acquired from teaching has definitely transferred over to your work at Waze, right? When you're explaining data science concepts to people who are less on the technical side. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So teaching has helped me a lot because I always have to put myself in the shoes of the students and realize that if they're coming from different backgrounds, then I can't like jump into regression without some background on it first. Like I have to assume that they're coming here with very basic knowledge. And because of that experience in education, it's taught me how to communicate better when I'm presenting to clients for ways or um, talking about data to like business executives, more on the business side of things. So totally teaching and getting involved with this has helped me a lot in my professional career as well. So how have you found managing like teaching and working and like doing a bunch of public speaking events and podcasts? How do you find what you want to prioritize? Yeah, this is a continuous learning process and I'm still not that great at it, to be honest. Like I have to learn how to say no, but I'm involved with a lot of different things at the same time. And this does go back to what I mentioned earlier about developing my time management skills. I'm used to having multiple jobs. I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it has taught me how to be really good about time management and like setting goals and tasks for myself that have to get done. Because especially when you're juggling so many things, if you let anything get behind, it can really start to like pile up. So I'm very good about prioritizing my time and allotting sufficient time to get each thing done and making sure that I don't I don't get behind. And then on top of that, I think it helps in my case that my side projects or my side work is something that I really enjoy, education. So it's not like I'm doing something that I don't like. And then even my job and my work at Waze and Google, I enjoy doing it. So it doesn't take so much out of me because it's something that I truly enjoy. What are some of your favorite statistical methods you apply to address big data problems? I feel like we oftentimes overlook the basics as we're always talking about these buzzwords. So big data, machine learning, but really at the heart of all of this, and really at the heart of data science is statistics. And we can use these statistical methods or what many people just call data science today, but a lot of times it breaks down to statistics. We can use this to solve data problems. And I would say some of my, my favorites really go back to the basics. So it can be you know, how regression can be used to solve problems. Maybe it's trying to predict the probability of a conversion. Um, or even like t-tests to evaluate whether there is a significant difference between two groups. So like evaluating the results of A-B tests. So I think these are not always uh, highlighted like they should be. We're always talking about machine learning or deep learning and artificial intelligence. But a lot of or, or most of what people are doing today goes back to basic statistics. Yeah, I remember when I was doing my podcast with Antonio Ivanovsky, we talked about the same thing. Like when he first got into data science, he was really interested in like predictive analytics and machine learning. And he would like try to do that when he got assigned problems, right? But there was like just a much simpler way to solve the task he had. So he realized, you know, it's just best to do it whatever's like the simplest way, whatever he can finish the quickest, right? You don't necessarily need to do the most complicated way, even if it seems cooler. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. And people really overlook this, but many of these problems can be solved with quite basic statistical methods. What has been the biggest adjustment working in mainly the business analytics field at Google to now working on analytics for Waze? Very good question. And the biggest adjustment for me has actually been 
moving from the world of search. So you can imagine Google search and Google ads and working with this data, which is like text search data, and then moving to the world of mobility in ways. It's completely different, the type of data that I'm working with. Because I was working with before, like I said, text and analyzing how people are searching and when and where. But now I'm working with like movements and mobility. I'm working with geospatial data and geoanalytics. So the distance between two points and how people are moving within those points. And it really involves this new way of thinking, a new way of, of using analytics and even a new way of visualization. So I've become an expert on Google Data Studio for data visualization. I even teach classes in that, but I've now also been able to get my hands dirty with Cardo. And Cardo is a tool for geospatial visualization. So for me, it was a big difference when it comes to the data I'm using. And I love it because I've been, I've been exposed to something just completely new for me. How do you see the data science field evolving in the future? And what areas do you hope to see the most growth in? Yeah, and I'm going to, this probably won't come as any surprise that I'm going to avoid talking about the typical AI and ML, and I'm going to focus on the less sexy pieces of data science. So I hope and expect to see growth when it comes to um, data engineering. So with more I would say with the general public and, and businesses, executives, they always talk a lot about data science and there's like, you know, these, they're put on a pedestal and that's totally fine because data scientists do, do great work and they have big impacts on the business. But many times people don't realize that these data scientists, they need a solid data engineering team to support them or they would not be able to achieve what they are achieving. So I hope to see data engineering put more into the spotlight. And then I expect to see more tools and technologies that are launching and growing that help data engineers with their jobs. And something like involved with data engineering is data quality. And when I was a data engineer previously at Nielsen, one of my main focuses was data quality. And it doesn't get talked about as much as it should. But in analytics, you've probably heard it before, but we often say garbage in, garbage out. So your analysis is only as good as the data that you have. So I think that's very important. I expect to see more talking about this and more evolution. And then also related to that, so we've got data quality. And then as well, I expect to see more on like data observability and data monitoring, but all really linking back to the job of a data engineer. What has been the most rewarding part about being such a prominent public speaker at various conferences and establishing yourself as one of the most influential figures in the data science realm? It's very kind of you. Um, and I would say that my ability to public speak and, and even like taking interviews like this with ease, it really comes down to this emphasis that I've put on communication in the last years uh, and even education as well that links into that. And I think it's really paid off um, when it comes to public speaking. It's opened a lot of doors for me. And like I mentioned before, I do this as a side job. It's a part-time job outside of my full-time work. And many times when I'm public speaking, a lot of them I go representing IE Business School, where I teach as an adjunct professor. Um, and honestly, the most rewarding part of it, besides, of course, getting to share my passion of data and, and spark people's interest in the subject, is just meeting new people and networking. So this was especially important pre-COVID 
so pre-COVID, I did a lot of public speaking tours with IE Business School, and they took me to some really unique destinations. So I got to go to Jordan, to Russia, Azerbaijan, and quite a few more countries, really interesting places. And I got to interact in the culture there, a culture that was very different from my own. So it was a great excuse to visit new countries. And then it was a bonus of having the chance to interact with the locals and I hope have an impact in the way they do business or for younger people, what they were looking at studying later on. Could you talk about your book a week challenge that you've been doing on LinkedIn, why you started it and how influential reading has been for your life? Of course, I love talking about books, so I'll be happy to talk about that. So the book a week challenge, um, this started as a personal goal that ended up growing into this community effort, this community initiative that I host over LinkedIn. And for anyone searching for it, if you just put hashtag book a week challenge, you'll be able to find more about it. But I do this and I continue this effort, this initiative, because I'm trying to push others to pick up better habits like reading books and then to foster this like continuous learning mindset. And also I personally use it as a reason to disconnect from screens. I only read physical paperback books. And I, I highly recommend to any of the listeners here today to check it out. And even last year, I started promoting the book a month challenge. So same thing, hashtag book a month challenge, um, because I recognize that not everyone's uh, schedule is so forgiving for a book a week, but I do think that everyone can at least finish one book a month. And I would say that reading has been a really big part of my life. I was a huge reader growing up. When I was a kid, you would always find me with a book in my hands or with my head stuck in a book. And then I, I actually lost this habit in high school, college, sadly, but I reconnected with my love of reading later on as an adult. And it's just so, so refreshing. It's, it's like you're constantly learning new things. In my case, I'm not only reading about data science. I absolutely read a lot around data and technology, but I read other books like novels, sci-fi, biographies. And in every book, I'm learning something new. It's like this being exposed to different cultures or perspectives on life. A lot of times I pick books that are from another country. So they've been translated to English and I can read about another country and another culture and learn about new ways of thinking um, about life. And then just besides this, reading relaxes me. So it's a good excuse to get off my screen and stay off my screen. So overall, it's very, very beneficial for me in a health sense, mental health and physical health, and then also very good for, for my brain and to continue learning. So when you were younger, did you have like an equal passion or interest for math and reading? I would actually say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, when I was quite young, like very young, I remember that, that I would get like these math books. I would be begging my parents to buy me math books to do like you know, basic calculations, adding and subtracting and multiplying. And I would like do it for fun. And I would ask them to buy me these books so I could sit at home and do the, the formulas. So yeah, like I've always loved uh, statistics, math, and then the reading side. Again, I lost the reading a bit in high school, college, with that, which I think is typical. You've, you have other priorities in life at that point of your life. But math and statistics has always been a constant throughout my life. 
Yeah, I mean, your parents must have been like super amazed that you as a young kid wanted to do math because usually people don't have like that natural interest. It just comes when they do it at school, right? They, they sort of have to do it and then maybe it'll grow from there. But the fact that you had it at a young age is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was my it was my favorite subject. Like I always wanted more math homework. I was the weirdo that wanted math homework instead of like complaining about it. What is some advice that you would give yourself five years ago that is career related or otherwise? I would say biggest piece of advice is just to keep doing you and do not overthink it. Everything is going to fall into place if you put the effort and if you're really going after something that you have a passion for. I would say at different points in your professional and your personal life, you are going to experience obstacles and difficulties, but these are always moments for growth. So how you manage these tough situations says a lot about you as a person. So whether that means you're at a client meeting that has gone wrong, or you're getting rejected for a job like we spoke about earlier, or underperforming on the role, but you need to look at each situation as a moment to learn and analyze what you can learn from it and how you can grow from it and then move on. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, Christina. I loved hearing your story about breaking into the data science field, your love for public speaking and reading, and your data-driven work at Google. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow us and rate us wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned for more Data Dive podcast episodes like this one. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it.